0: this is the negotiate x podcast show number 35. you're listening to negotiate x radio helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations
1: If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have
0: benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to another episode of the NegotiateX podcast with my good friend Aram. But Aram, Please introduce your brother-in-law. I'll go ahead and rip that Band-Aid off for you. <laughs>
2: yeah, he is my brother-in-law. So folks, welcome. Um, keeping it in the family today, as we like to say. We have the opportunity to hear from uh, Mike Farragh from Fervor Marketing. Why have a marketer on the, the show? Great question. We don't even know. But we think there's probably something that negotiators can learn from a marketing expert, thinking of marketing as a way to influence. And not only that, but also in the way business is done. And uh, having known Mike and had a lot of conversations over the years with Mike, uh, I'm excited to kind of delve into this and see see what we can learn. So let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Ferrick Mike understands what it's like to find a vocation worth pouring your heart into because after years of climbing the corporate ladder, both sales and marketing, Mike discovered where his heart really was while on a mission trip to Haiti. After seeing firsthand the very real difference that one organization could make in the lives of many, he found a passion for serving brands at the intersection of faith and business, about living out our calling through our work and about developing healthy organizational cultures so they can succeed from the inside out. And so Fervor was born. Through this award-winning agency, Mike has been serving nonprofits and businesses of all sizes for the past 13 years so they can have and make a greater impact in the world. To date, Fervor has helped 87 organizations refine their messaging and brand identity through their signature brand impact assessment. Currently, Mike and his team serve faith-led organizations in Kansas City and across the country with strategy, brand development, ongoing communication, consulting, and marketing across all channels and for a variety of industries. Under Mike's leadership, Fervor is revolutionizing the craft of helping organizations articulate their purpose, align their work, and amplify their reach so they can do the most good possible. In addition to being Ferber's CEO and chief vision caster, Mike leads Ferber's uh, business development efforts. He loves the outdoors and loves spending time with his amazing wife. And I'm not just saying that because she's my wife's sister, okay, but she is quite amazing and their four beautiful children. So Mike, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Thank you guys. Nolan Aram, so good to be here. Thanks for that intro, man. I I feel privileged. You know,
2: <laughs> have that mean, look, by
1: <laughs> such a man as yourself.
2: <laughs> so Mike, that's the kind of, you know, online bio and we want people to kind of know who you are, but, but man, how did, how did you get here? What's been in your, and your own reflection, the, the journey from crime the corporate ladder to entrepreneur uh, owning your own marketing firm?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to share and, and certainly want to make this relevant to the, the theme of what does real you know, negotiation look like and what, you know, what sort of value might we be able to add or I'm able to add at all. I, gosh, I think that, was, that started long, long before I started Fervor in my corporate climb. You know, I loved and was climbing as hard and fast as I could. Let's call it negotiating the best deal possible for Mr. Farragh here. And I was, <laughs> I was focused on that. It was a lot about what I could get from the corporate construct. And they were really good at rewarding that. Guys, I mean, if you could figure out what, what you did for them and did well for them and you're willing to put that sort of level of effort in, you got a really good coin in return. And that was, that was my, my hard charging first half of my career until lots of things changed in my world. A big personal change with a loss of my first marriage uh, sent me on a very different quest. I started journaling. And by the way, guys, if you're not a journaler, I don't care who you are, what you do in your career. Journal is a magic, magic thing. Retrospective is something we all can learn from. And when you journal, you get a chance to get a retrospective. And for me, this was really helpful. I started journaling at that kind of pivotal point in my in my life. And I thought, gosh, I, it, got, it became really clear to me that I needed to leave that corporate construct for something else. And I didn't know what that something else was. And so, lo and behold, a mission trip to Haiti was what really got me started on this current path in July of 2008. I remember it clearly. And I saw something that I'd always wanted in my life, and that was real joy. And I happened to go to Haiti to find that, you know, and I thought, I want a little bit more of that in my life. And uh, I wasn't called to be on the front line of the mission field. I was given lots of gifts, marketing, communications, strategic thinking. And I was like, I I don't think I I don't think that serves me really well on the front line of Haiti here, you know, like I just don't think it does. So when I came home, I I found out that there was a problem in the world, and lots of organizations needed help being as good publicly as they were inside the organization. By the way, I think that's true for leaders too. <laughs> uh, we get in our own way a lot of times, and the public persona is different than what the inside heart of a of a leader looks like, and. I think that's true for lots of great organizations. And it turns out they need a really great marketing communications firm to help them make sure that what is outside, what they say and do and feel and show is as good as what they and who they are inside the organization. And it turns out my my favorite thing to do is the is to do that for organizations like the group that took me to Haiti. So nonprofit, faith-based nonprofits of all kinds and stripes are our, our target audience. And it's who we help try to grow, and from from the inside out, because we believe that's where great growth comes from, and that's what I get to spend my days doing. I got a great team of people. We get a chance to go tackle this this uh, this mountain together, and it's a blast
2: most days. Mike, thanks. All right, yeah. so let, let's tackle the elephant in the room. Yeah. What do we have to learn from you? What from a marketing lens and the way you approach the the way you help organizations? what can we take from that that would that would help our, our listeners be more effective in, in negotiations they're involved in? Yeah. I'm um, think
1: at the core of what I get a chance to do every day, but what I believe marketing is about is understanding audience and connecting a message to the audience. And correct me if I'm wrong, fellas, but I'm pretty sure that's what negotiation starts with. Yeah. Understanding who, what, what are frustrations and needs of the other end of the spectrum, not just you, because we all have internal needs and frustrations. And largely we're we're blinded by our own as opposed to really understanding what someone else needs. And in the marketing space, what we do all day, every day is help our clients understand the audience, their target, their their main audience. We happen to call them ideal advocates because we believe advocacy actually changes more than just what a target buyer persona might look like. Hmm. And what we think from that perspective is that When you understand audience and you understand their needs their frustrations and you craft a message that connects with them in a voice that can be understood and then magic starts to happen because now real connections real relationships starts to happen we have common ground and gosh i think from a negotiation standpoint i'm negotiating the sale of lots of things for clients or or the donation of millions of dollars for clients That takes a real keen understanding of audience and what message is going to resonate with that audience the best. So from a target audience perspective, when I think about what what do we have to teach anyone about negotiation? Gosh, I think we have a lot to teach them about negotiation because I think the best negotiators start with the end in mind and they start with their audience in their crosshairs. And when they have their audience in their crosshairs, the more they know about them, the more they have thought about them, the more they have thought about how they got up in the morning. What do they drive to work? What do they care about? What are their current like real felt needs? This real visceral kind of we would call this a physical need before we can actually get to the the negotiation needs. We've got to cure the physical needs, which lots of times are what is the burning questions or series of questions in their minds? And they're not going to hear anything else until we've kind of already addressed those sorts of key issues. That's true in marketing, for sure, when we're trying to deliver a message, no matter what the medium we're trying to deliver. And I think it's true in negotiation. At least that's my current working hypothesis for you in terms of what we might teach is great profiles, great messaging, probably leads to a great negotiation.
0: Well, if I could jump in here, Aaron. So I think what's awesome is that, Mike, you're really kind of highlighting almost like our process, but we're just using different words in exchange here. You brought up a lot about communication relationships and how that allows you to uncover interest. Well, for us, that's essentially getting into the value, uh, the circle of value to be able to figure out those needs, to be able to start really answering those questions. And it all starts with good communication, good relationships. Aaron,
2: Thanks, Nolan. You talk about ideal advocates, Mike. So, I'm just curious, why isn't it obvious to the uh, folks you work with that they need to do this? And, and how do you put the sauce together? How do, you, how do you help them do that?
1: Well, it's really hard. So, I mean, think about this. I mean, we all think in, in most cases, humans, we, we're, we're pretty simple. We think the way we see the world is the way others see the world. And so when we walk in the room, we automatically start to have assumptions about, well, I, they automatically know what I know. And when I say things, it makes sense. The, the truth is, read the same piece of paper, and Aram and I, and Nolan and I, we're, we're gonna read it. We're still gonna interpret that piece of paper, the same words on the page differently. Same data in front of us, we're still gonna interpret it differently. And we're gonna hear different things because it's our paradigm, it's our story. You haven't been to the same places, I haven't been in the same situations as you, and so we're automatically going to, the words are going to matter. When, when I say the word theater or in theater to a bunch of military guys, I automatically know that is a different modicum. And if they have been in combat, it's going to be a different modicum than somebody who's never, ever served a day in their life. Guys, it's the same words, but it carries with it very different weight. And that matters. And so we have to know the audience. The better we understand the audience and and their historical understanding the more we can measure a really good message to hit. Why don't they understand this? Because humans just naturally think we've had the same experiences when we walk in the room. And if I say in theater to you, you're gonna understand what I mean by it. I didn't mean combat, of course not. We're not here, we're here in a theater. I mean, we're physically in a theater or something else. But the truth of the matter is you carry with it all of your historical understanding and context. And that is what we really try to get clients to understand is that this isn't really about them. In fact, they think they think it's the field of dreams. And I love the field of dreams. It's a great movie. It is the absolute worst kind of marketing ever. Um, and so you don't just get to write your message apart from your audience and, and then hope people come. You don't do that. Not if you want to grow, especially in a early stage organization. This is where I believe like we love Simon Sinek. He, he's got a great kind of modicum of, you know, why, how, and what the golden circle. Yeah. But we think that misses the mark in lots of ways, because typically that means you've written it and now you're hoping that just droves of people will show up because they will buy why you do. Well, the droves of people never show up until you tell them and you have a chance to talk to them. And so what we've missed in this perspective is that, you know, he was profiling large organizations, that have been around for years that have had a chance to like millions and millions, if not billions of dollars worth of ad budgets. And most of the organizations we work with just don't have that.
2: Right.
1: And they're never going to have that kind of platform. What they do have is advocacy and they do have a chance to relate a real message to somebody. And so I think we start to uh, show them that value of what that looks like. Why don't they know it coming in? And they're human, just like you and I. And it's hard to you know, shed your human qualities when you walk in a room, and you just make assumptions.
2: Mike, an example you could share of an organization you've worked with who was building it and hoping folks are going to come, kind of striking out, and then you come in, help them reframe their focus and do some hard work around ideal advocacy advocates and see a turnaround in, in the success they're having.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, we've got a bunch of these kinds of stories and I love that we do because we've just been along some great organizations and I would say lucky to serve some great organizations that are willing to listen and, and grow. The first one that comes to mind is the, the first one that I went with, you know, back in, gosh, it's, it's the inception story for us. They're now called the Global Orphan Project. When I went on that trip to Haiti, July of 2008, they were called C3 Missions International. Do you know why? (laughs) Because the founder earned his money in propane, and he's a great guy. So let me just say this, like, hey, publicly, I love this man dearly. He is almost a family member to me. But he he named his organization C3 because C3H8 was the chemical compound for propane. That's how (laughs) he made his money. Sure. So why wouldn't he just name his charity C3? And, you know, this is how we're and, and when I showed up you know I went on this trip, life changing trip. I was like, Mike, his name's Mike. You say this is the most important work you've ever done and it does not look like it. It does not sound like it. And the story is about you. Is that what we want people to understand when you're out there serving widows and orphans? that This is about you and your money and how you made it. Because that's from the very start, from the very jump, it's about you, C three. So we did a brand, what we call brand impact assessment, which is a, a big eight week process for us to really do. I do advocates, messaging strategies, etc. And we did this process. This was the first time I'd ever done this process. By the way, we didn't call it that then. We just I just knew the pieces and parts. I've been trained by the big companies to do it this way, and we added some different, you know, a couple of different flavors to this and man, it was impactful. We profiled the audience. We we thought about messaging and that led us to a need for a name change because it was it needed to be about others. The audience wanted and needed. They were drawn to this organization in very profound ways, but they were trapped. They weren't really sharing about this organization. They weren't really advocating for this organization. Why? Because the messaging was really hard to understand. The name was like nondescript, like there was just so many challenges. And so the barriers for being able to challenge, you know, share about the organization and actually have alignment were really high. So all we did, we took the barriers all the way down. New name, new logo, a strategy of communication for a specific audience. We typed the audience and it was, gosh, it's been impactful. So they've gone from a $1.5 million organization to, I mean, guys, they are you know, pushing 20, 10 years. It's a, they have for-profit arms that are earning even more income that aren't even part of the nonprofit now. I mean, they're very innovative and have, it's unlocked. A lot of things. You should see the way they're using this brand today, and we couldn't have planned it better. And by the way, we don't have anything to do with it anymore. When you unlock potential, it goes in directions you could never plan. And they are just off to the races, and I love it. Kim and I, my my wife and I are very connected to this organization. We love it. And yet we have no idea all of the places they've taken this organization now. It's fantastic to watch. And it started with uh, an owner founder being willing to uh, think a little differently. that in my opinion, that's what that's part of what it takes for us to accept that what we think and, and something that we hold dear might be better if we re- if we open our hand up a little bit uh, a little bit wider.
2: And It sounds like you've got to practice that too. So as you guided him, you're kind of practicing what you want your client to do with their customers or their their advocates. You're doing that same it sounds like with your clients. you're it's not about you and fervor. It's about understanding and listening to them.
1: Oh, I hope so. I think this is, gosh, this is a major negotiation because let's think about it. I'm trying to put it in your terms too. You know, largely what an organization like mine wants long-term clients. You spend a lot of time getting them and now you want to keep them for a long time, Right. but that may not be what's best for them. And if I really want to practice what I preach and I think about the audience and their needs and frustrations and their heart's desire, Gosh, I may not be. I may be able to serve them really well for the next two years. Get them out of their own way. Give them some real good building blocks, and then turn them loose on the world in different ways—to a larger, uh, a, a larger agency, or or an internal agency, or or you know, you name it. And that's, I think, what most of us get. We get in our own way, myself included. And so we try to take this pill of practicing what we preach as much as we can. And so lots of times, what we say is our main goal is to, we want to make sure that there's always more impact with us than without us. And the moment that changes, we want to get out the way.
2: So you, you talked to Mike about the impact assessment. And again, I don't know how much of the onion you can peel back there. Eight weeks, how much resistance do you get from folks who are like, now nah, we, we just need to get this moving faster. What are you talking about? Eight weeks of discovering, you know, and, and doing, doing research and analysis. Which, by the way, Nolan and I would be on your side because because we think there's a lot of good work to be done in preparing uh, for negotiations. So anyways, what what sort of resistance do you get on that?
1: Oh, man, I would think we're in lockstep on with you guys on on uh, lots of pushback on time invested in terms of what it really takes to come up with a successful outcome. Lots of pushback. I mean, the reason we work with, you know, now pushing over a thousand organizations and just pushing a hundred of them have done our main process is because 10% of the groups that we've worked with have said, hey, we're willing to do all of, we're kind of willing to do the full process. Let's make a really good cake. And most of us, we all want to move fast and break things. And that has become, I would say that's also become, you know, the market's working against us in a lot of ways. The startup community and mentality is, move fast fail fast as opposed to think critically i wish we might think about a little bit of think critically the old axiom measure twice cut once is not what it what's in favor and so this is true for lots of our clients now the true innovators they want to move fast but they also want to move intentionally and that's where we love kind of entrepreneurial, innovative, you know, nonprofit clients. That sort of temper and tone means that they, they're they going to look at an ROI and they're also going to want a plan and they want to know where they're headed and they want to know where they're headed before they really, you know, pull out of the driveway. So, so they're willing to put a map together, uh, a, a sum of a map. Now, eight weeks, still hard to sell, candidly, but man, it's been a lot of fun. Now we're at 89 times that, you know, somebody's let us do this with them we're doing number 90 right now we're in the middle of number 90 right now and it is probably still the most fun i have because we really do get every sense of the organization organization divisional understanding budget understanding everything has to work together if you really want to grow and really isn't that what marketing's about is growth usually they're asking us a growth question even though they're guy, it's under the guise of, hey, we need a new website or a new brand or a new something or a campaign to help us. And the real question, once you peel back a couple more layers is, hey, we really have a growth need. OK, cool. Share that. What's the next two years? What's the next 10 years? What's the real growth number? And then we devise a plan to help help you get there. That's the most fun. Is it hard? Absolutely. Most clients, lots of or, uh, most prospects, not clients, once they become a client, they kind of drink cooling. Most prospects are really averse to eight weeks of strategy and no execution. And they're like, that doesn't sound like what I asked you for. Can't you? Can't we get a website in that time? And isn't that going to do it? Yep. That's, that's not going to do it. We would say we're much more the vitamin and, and we're going to help you over time. It's, it's the gym and the vitamins. And you can't predict results. You can't go see results the first meeting. You can't see results the second meeting. But you know, going to the gym over time, you're going to start to look and feel better. And that's what, uh, that's what we are akin to uh, vitamins and gym over time.
2: Nice. You know, one of the things Nolan, and I often say to, to folks is that negotiators just aren't creative enough. You are a creator, creative. You lead a team of creatives. You hire creatives. This is probably never a problem for you trying to solve a problem, get more creative. You probably have too much creativity. How, so I don't know. I mean, is it, is it, is it ever with your clients? How do you foster an environment of creativity are there things you do that kind of help bring that to the to the surface
1: hmm. this is a great question this is this is fun so this is where i think guy i think you might be right i think lots of us but by the way i think this is true in lots of industries we get a chance to see lots of different kinds of organizations through our doors and by the way solving problems creatively is a challenge for all of us so I would say we do a couple of things. One, gosh, this is back from my sprint days, but we always, we always, we require both our team and we want our clients to bring us the real problem. So don't bring us the solution, bring us a problem. And then with, with our, with our team, we want them to bring at least three to five possibilities, possible solutions every time. They now know me as the option guy. And my team says, oh, Ferg's the option guy. He's always going to want options. <laughs> And my contention is, there's not one way to solve issues. There's multiple ways to solve issues, and and that to me is is one of the maybe beginnings of starting to say, hmm, maybe there's not just one possible solution or possible outcome here that is still a win. That there might be four or five or ten possible outcomes that's still a win, and we're looking for both sides. You know, we're looking for us to feel good about the work that we're doing and the clients to feel good about the return they're getting and everybody to, you know, have the, this is a, a good workable solution for both sides. I think this is true in negotiation. So multiple options are like kind of the paramount. Let's call it the 101. We got to have that before we can have anything. Then we would start to say, I think this is another, you know, we've done this kind of scenario where we've said, hey, we really want, we really want you to run it all the way to outcomes so run option and run it all the way to outcome so all the way you know take take that sort of solution and and then go three to five steps down the road so run it to outcome what what is possible outcomes we run a game called high low sometimes you know we try to just make it a little fun like hey what's the what's the top and the bottom side of this like the worst case scenario and the best case scenario and we run high low on lots of things on a regular basis By the way, just sometimes retitling something and not saying best case, worst case feels different to the human mind. And so I am a big advocate of word choice. And if you just say, hey, we're going to play a little game called high-low with the client, by the way, that doesn't feel like worst case or best case scenario, like you've done in several boardrooms along the way. We've done a variety of uh, games where we really try to gain alignment. Alignment is super key. I believe this is where negotiation can really have true alignment. And... And sometimes what we have is we talk about real issues. We do an issues card and we start lots of big meetings that have probably difficult, challenging things to solve in the meeting. And we'll ask for a pardon for two hours. No issues can be discussed for those two hours. Once they've been written down, we're going to capture these issues. Used to be guys, Sprint used to call this and you've probably been in a room. Somebody said, well, let's put that in the parking lot. You know, they'll write it on the whiteboard. This is a different version of that similar tactic. So we put them on cards, write them on cards. Everybody says it, got, we've captured them. We write them in a document, capture them. Okay, we have your concerns. Now you can put them to the side for the next two hours of this meet. No concerns need to be brought up anymore. You can pick them up on your way out. Feel free to pick those concerns back up on the way out. But what we've done is tried a mental model of putting them, you know, getting their barrier down. All we're trying to do is get barriers down so that because I believe what's in the way, you say creativity, Aaron. what I hear is, They're just in their own way i think lots of us have innately gifted ability to see the world differently if we're given the chance to see it differently but we're in our own way we have Mm. we have those bears those blinders and if we can get those blinders off in whatever way we guess what happens man new solutions new creativity ensues and we start to have a better conversation than we would have had before
2: yeah it's beautiful it relies a lot on process management mike as you know that the the issues card piece and to get that those ground rules agreement so that you can you can do that and create that environment where barriers are down and I think that's that's a nice addition to to our mantra about people being more creative trying to think outside the box on these complex problems that as you described are, are holistic part of it is what's the process we're using to create the environment to do that
1: oh man is an environment so key? If you walked in a noisy place to try to have a big conversation, I mean, if if you were if you had a deal worth a million bucks and you would go in a place that doesn't feel like a million dollars, automatically you're at five hundred thousand. You know what I mean? Like just move it down by half. And I think that environment is a major major contention. And we, when you enter that room, get the chance to set the environment and set the tone, or reset the tone. And sometimes you have to reset the tone. Sometimes it's process to to be sure, Aaron. And sometimes, man, you're like we set the stage a month beforehand because we picked the right room, we picked the right place, we picked the right music, we picked the right, like those, these things are, these are details that I believe have an influence and an impact on how conversations feel.
2: Yeah. Roger Fisher, who, you know, is the founder of so much the thought around negotiation very, would be very intentional setting up a room with the people he wanted to sit next to each other for the conversations and avoiding the combative feeling of being across the table and and fighting a lot of intentionality there to create to create the right environment
1: yeah absolutely and today's day and age this is becoming more of a challenge right because lots of our negotiations or conversations are happening like we're doing right now you know they're online they are they're screened and so certainly environment is harder to control in some ways because we're communicating digitally now more than ever but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be intentional about how and what. In fact, it probably means we have to up the game in terms of what we do and how we say and what our for prep and after follow-up looks like.
0: Yeah, hey Mike, I got a question for you. So we had talked about once you get a prospect to become a client, they're gonna drink the Kool-Aid. How do you cross that gap? Like what do you do, Going kind of taking it back to communication relationship here? How do you deal with someone who isn't necessarily drinking the Kool-Aid, but you're not ready to give up on them yet. Is there something that you can do to help set the stage for them to come, become more likely to become a client, I guess.
1: So this is, let me just ask a couple of questions on it. So is this, they've already, because they've said, yes, we're a client, we're engaged, we're doing work together or we're still prospecting? I think they're oh. more in
0: the prospect. Okay. Yep. I think they're in the prospect stage and, and we're trying to get them to, to become a client.
1: Yeah. Guys, this is where I think like, so I go back to sales and marketing roles uh, that I had previous and and then fast forward into like how today it works with our, how we coach clients and then how we might even practice this. But I think there is a real, a, a real miss in multimedia. And by that, I mean, most folks that I talk to would tell you, oh, Mike sent us a handwritten note during the prospect. He called us. He emailed us, he got the team to do a video uh, saying, hey, we'd love to have you as a client. They got follow up on a weekly or biweekly basis. There was never a miss with us being available and followed up. Sometimes if he got our mobile, he even texted us. I mean, like we go like what we want to show a client that we're gonna do with their clients, which is multidimensional. If your follow up and your communication is one dimensional, is that prime negotiation? I mean, I don't think that's prime negotiation. That's not how you would probably want it in return if anybody was chasing you down for something. And so like in this sense, we, we would try to practice that. Like we would show a client, hey, we're going to chase you down multi. For some clients, gosh, man, even I would say I'm just going to share this publicly. We've even done like some digital campaigns around them. We've done some geo-targeting where they're going to get our ads when they go walking in their building because we will fence their building and they're going to get our ads like fervor loves so-and-so.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean,
1: I'm re- I'm going to be relentless and also showing two things. It does two things. It shows our digital practicum and our knowledge base and what we're good at. And it also shows we're chasing them down. We want to be in relationship there and we're going to do it in multi-dimension. We're not just going to follow up an email and email and email. We're going to do it multimedia. So there's there's one and that's what I've, you know, for our clients and prospects. The other is I think, gosh, we, we leave out. We leave out a lot of option post, post decisions. So like, I think lots of times we let a client go or a prospect go way too early. We think a deal is done or a deal's dead or a prospect's dead way too early. And this is where we start to, I start drinking, a, you know, the long tail Kool-Aid on myself. And I want our clients to do that too. Like this relationship, even if they're not paying clients for us, they could be an advocate for us. So even if our relationship might only be a one year or two year engagement, great. But you know what? Most of my clients come from my previous clients. And so if I think about playing the long game, I'm just trying to make them advocates. That's really all I'm trying to do. Whether I sell them or not, I really want to sell them on our thought process, our way of doing business, more than I want to sell them some sort of engagement. Because long term, that will feed all of the families that I am in charge of, not just one or two
0: this year. Oh, that's great. I think the, uh, the framing of just trying to make Everyone advocates, even if even if they don't become a client, they can still say, hey, that Mike guy over at Fervor, you know, is very persuasive. Timing just wasn't right, but it may be still good for yeah, you. I tell so the story also- lots
1: of times about advocates and, and, and in the marketing world, most of them are talking about buyer personas or an ideal buyer. You know, they're not necessarily talking about advocates. What's the difference? I've got a good buddy here in Kansas City. I'm here in Kansas City. I got a great buddy who's a uh, BMW repair shop. I do not drive a BMW. And yet um, last year, I'm pretty sure he's got 30 or 35 clients because I told him where to go. Now, I'm not going to be a target buyer persona for this guy. I mean, you're never going to target me because I don't own a BMW. Here's what's wrong with, I think, marketing and even maybe, by the way, sometimes negotiation is we're too short sighted in what we think is a good client because we're defining it as a client for today advocate the reason why we don't call them target at a target clients is we call them advocates why because i want it to be a lifetime engagement in some way shape or form or at least a long-term relationship and so my buddy doesn't care that i don't drive a bmw i mean if i keep bringing him 30 or 40 people a year you think he's gonna care whether what i drive nope i mean now he'd love for me to drive one but that's just not in the cards man four kids that's not in the cards for fair you know but it doesn't mean that i shouldn't be a target for him right that i that he shouldn't care about me and communicate with me effectively and regularly and you know follow up like you know i'm probably should be on his lunch yeah actually come to think about it, i probably should be on his lunchman you know like <laughs> so
2: you know mike so much of what you're talking about requires some perspective and it requires dealing kind of in a fair reasonable just way with your clients encouraging them to do with in the same same with their customers how else do you think about fairness? Fairness is a, is a critical component to our model. We think about standards of legitimacy criteria. Is that something you use as a, as a marketing tool?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, I think the, the theology, uh, if you will, for us is absolutely grounded in a fair and equitable approach, both sides and and whether we're doing a deal with a client and we want an engagement whether we're at you know trying to put together a program and an approach for a client at a mar- market you know level external or we're dealing a lot with their internal dialogue and paradigm in lots of times this is happening uh, i'll just share like in the nonprofit space this happens all the time between the board and the you know executive team and and i think this sort of negotiation board to executive is a regular occurrence for us to help negotiate because really the exec might bring us in and they are trying to figure out how do they grow they've got a growth plan and then they've got to kind of go sell it into the board and lots of times there's a there's a real need to what's real fair what what do i control what do i have authority to control and what do they control and they have the authority to control and this sort of dialogue and and even sometimes discourse is real palatable i mean like i'm in the room a lot of times with this you know i mean i've just kind of recanting or recounting this to a, a group uh, this morning. I think I've attended something like 500 board meetings in the last 13 years, and so I've had a front, you know, row seat to both good and bad fairness approaches. And I think this has got to be one of the paramounts. Like it's almost, guys, it's almost akin to trust. And if if it's if we don't trust the other party that they're going to do what they said they're going to do, that they're not going to, you know, really in good faith approach me and approach others then I don't necessarily have the sense to be fair because I'm going to get what I need for me. And then we go back to protection modes. Then we go back to me. Then we go back to corporate days of fair, you know, like it's not what's in it for the, for others. It's what's in it, what I can get now. And that is short it's, and it's transactional and it does not last very long. It, in fact, sometimes it doesn't even last, you know, the, the ink's dry and that's about the time that it starts to d- demise. Yeah. So I think fairness as a as a paradigm and trust as a paradigm have to be the theology of standing. There's some there's some real uh, foundational things that must be at play, and so I think some of this is in the sales process or or in a prospecting process. I think some of this is in dialogue, pre dialogue before you get to you know negotiate real you know kind of final negotiation point or or final deal points that has to be sussed out. You know, are are we do we have some sort of our team, at our team, if you asked our team, they'd call it chemistry. Do we have chemistry, Mike? Is there chemistry there? And what they're saying on the surface is a surface description of what do we feel? Do we like? Do we have alignment? Do we trust them? Do we think they're going to be good and fair to us? And when that when that's broken, we use a, a process called Fetch. I'm in a CEO mastermind group, and they put together a little process to have really tough conversations, crucial conversations, critical conversations. I mean, there's a whole host of books. That we've read uh, our exec team and 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 myself like we we would employ kind of this crucial conversations to bring both parties together and say hey this is not how we operate in fact our team just had one of these with a client this week this is not how we operate if we did this to you we would be admonishing our team member and you did this to us and we need we feel like we need to bring it forward and guys i think that's a lost Art, uh, by the way, it's biblical. You know, so for me, this is a, a biblical paradigm too. For me to come at and say, "Listen, we need to come together and we need to work our differences out, or work out how to not be together doing business," because one of the two is not going to be good for our heart and our organizations.
2: Some of what you described there, too, as you talked about understanding your client's internal dynamics. It sounds like you do some of that work ahead of time. You you understand some of the places and sources of resistance or, or the challenges they're going to face to communicating internally. You've thought about that, and it's part of your plan to help them as well.
1: It has to be to me. Aram, at this point, 13 years in, I don't know any other way to do it. So maybe I'm just, this is just, you know, but gosh, if we don't understand internal dynamics, we walk into a, we can walk into a real mess with our eyes closed. I'd much rather walk in understanding what what's what's what. So we plan and prepare. Doesn't mean we don't walk in. Sometimes it does. Sometimes we push the eject button. We're like, that's too much. And sometimes we just walk in with our eyes open. We understand it's going to be a messy situation, or we understand, that, you know, what are the landmines, and we try not. We're trying to avoid the landmines. So I mean. We got a survey, and I think that's you know that's my partly my responsibility as as the the front you know kind of the front person to to suss out and say hey what what are the things how's the board interaction how's the executive team do they do they run on a on a system are they doing scaling up are they doing EOS are they running a system do they do they have regular meetings do they have a strategy document they're all bought into when I ask their question about mission vision values can they say it these kinds of things are you know telltale of like how an organization health and well-being is going. So the more we know, the, the easier it is and better it is for us to be able to, you know, help them get over, get around and, and grow.
0: And what I like that you address there, Mike, is um, we always kind of talk about hard hard bargainers and negotiations. And you had said that, hey, I'm not going to allow you to, to kind of talk to us that way. We need to figure out how to work through our differences so that we can continue on this path of our relationship. So I just wanted to highlight that there that that was a great example of how other companies can deal with hard bargainers and yeah. negotiation. So good <laughs> job. With it's that. a
1: scary place to be sometimes because you know what you're doing when you do that. You're putting it on the line, and you know that relationship. If it, if that conversation doesn't get negotiated well, if it if it doesn't get done well, the client may not be a client anymore. My contention is I I I and I love clients. We are here to serve clients. But guys, we operate under the theology that our team comes first and I have to operate that way all the time or else I am a, an absolute hypocrite because I believe we win inside out. And if if that team knows that I got their back, they will walk through the wall with me and sometimes for me and I will do the same for them. And that means that, that we love our clients and we want to help them grow. But they come second. Our team is first. And I think when you come into it with some sort of baseline theology or baseline understanding, then you already know, you know, OK, it's OK. we We've we got to do this because this is values based decision making. This is how we're going to make. We're absolutely in our we don't have a choice, really, because we're going to if we're going to live our values, then we're going to do it this way.
2: Well, Mike, just one more question, um, you know, so and so much you've talked about today is about. Leadership, right? We're we're saying it's from a marketing perspective, but it's leadership, right? And and we think of negotiation as a critical leader skill, right? It, you can't separate as a leader. I negotiate as a negotiator. I'll be more effective if I see myself as a leader. As you work with the leaders of organizations around brand and reputation and 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 identity and persona and all these things, and for our listeners. What's what's some nuggets of advice from a leadership, like just a leadership frame to be better?
1: Well, I think that uh, the last line that you just said, Aram, is probably the the biggest line. At, at least for me, and as I get a chance to work with lots of leaders, and I love them. Um, we're all broken, you know. We're all trying, but if you're not trying to get better, then I already know a lot of things about you that are probably not in the positive category. The the leaders that I see and that I the kind of leader that I want to and aspire to continue to be is a a leader that wants to keep getting better. That will mess up. That will own the 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 mess up. But will always strive to improve and get better. And that you know until they put me in the ground, that is I hope what I will continue to be doing. And I don't think you arrive you know at whatever age or whatever length of time or what size of your business or size of the organization. I just don't think that's true. I think you just get you just get bigger so whether you got a hundred people or whether you got a thousand people or you got 10 people you got people and and you are you are probably as messed up and making bad decisions and uh, as anyone else uh no matter the size unless you're willing to learn from it and that is the first so start there so and there's lots of great organizational books about kind of you know leadership mentality and and i certainly love reading i think that's a, a, another thing that i see great leaders doing this is not news but this is something that i see great leaders doing they're reading a regular on a regular basis that's part of the continuing aspire to learn and grow right like is the the outcome the action that we should see is you know you're in groups but here's the thing that i think for me that i would tell every leader that is that has been the i mean a main turning point for me and i by the way as a man as a father as a husband um, not just as a business owner or or a you know a business leader, wise counsel around you. The number one thing that I think leaders can do, and I be, I think this is true for everybody by the way, not just leaders, but it is especially true and needed for leaders. If you don't have wise counsel around you, and by that I mean, I had a guy at Fellowship of Christian Athletes tell me one time, and I I'd love to give this guy credit. I don't remember the the man's name, but he said, Mike, you should be able to put four boxes, a box above you. Somebody that's mentoring you a box below you somebody that you're mentoring and two boxes next to you two brothers in arms. And this should be at least a minimum those four you should have four names in those boxes and you should be you should have those at all times may be more names that's great. But at least those four and guys I would tell you that the leaders that I see that have wise counsel around them that, that make it intentional to put people around them to speak truth to help them grow to challenge them to make them better are the leaders that are doing a, a, a great job at growing and leading and the ones that don't have that really
0: really tough hey mike no i think that's awesome insight is there anything else that we haven't asked you that that you need to address right now that is just weighing in on your chest it's something that we should have asked you but we just didn't
1: Well, I think we covered this a little bit, but I always love to remind people that I have a very simple but effective question, no matter what kind of marketing or communication or negotiation they're in. Remember, who's it for? And when they can answer that question, who's it for? Lots of other things start to fall in place. I think that's true in negotiation. It's certainly true in the world of marketing communications.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. And and thanks for coming on to the show today. I just want to be the first to say that, that you definitely have helped frame this. I think every time we bring on a listener from a different industry, it's able to provide a different lens, a different perspective on what Aaron and I are trying to do here. And that's to elevate people's influence through purposeful negotiation. So thank you so much. I'll turn it over to Aaron.
2: Yeah, Mike, I'll just echo the the thanks. Appreciate you taking the time. I, I think yeah. we answered the question. What can a negotiator uh, learn from a marketing expert? And as I think about it, the power of journaling, the power of uh, retrospection, hard to know, you know, who's it for, what's the key, why that I'm trying to answer, hard to get better if I'm not doing that. And so I appreciate that challenge for us all to go back, learn and and be, be reflective to read, to to get to surround ourselves with helpful uh, partners in in our efforts, and then really take the time too. I just from your impact assessment, I think the takeaway there that I remind folks is take the time to get the stuff right. Do your homework. You have a greater chance of getting it right in the long run.
1: Yeah. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. This has been a fun conversation. I always like giving grief and it feels like, you know, this is a good, this is a good place to do that. So thanks <laughs> for letting me uh, come talk a little bit. It's been fun.
0: Absolutely. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for for tuning in to today's episode. Greatly appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, you can send that to us at team at negotiatex.com. We'll be sure to cover it there. If you could please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We'll greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate
1: X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com,
0: your home for negotiations training and consulting online.